Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry. The world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. It's Sophia. Welcome back to Work in Progress. The life's work of today's impressive, inspiring, and trailblazing guest has impacted literally every single one of us on our planet. We have with us on the pod today, mathematician and GPS pioneer, Dr. Gladys West. Dr. West's career spanned 42 years in the field of math and science, and her work landed her in the United States Air Force Hall of Fame in 2018 one of the highest honors bestowed by Air Force Space Command. Dr. West is the only black woman to be inducted into the Air Force Missile and Space Pioneers Hall of Fame and was recently inducted into the National Black College Alumni Hall of Fame. She holds a Bachelor of Science and a Master's of Science from Virginia State University, a Master's of Arts from Oklahoma University, and a PhD from Virginia Tech. The work Gladys did to analyze data from satellites was used to put together models of the Earth's shape, which led to our modern day GPS. So if you are in your car right now, listening to this episode and you're using GPS to get anywhere, you can thank Gladys for getting you to where you need to go. Gladys also participated in an award-winning astronomical study that proved the regularity of Pluto's motion relative to Neptune and became project manager for the first satellite that could remotely sense oceans. You guys, I have such a brain crush on this woman, I don't even know how I'm gonna handle this interview. And Gladys didn't stop there. Dr. West earned her PhD after she retired in 1998 from her 42-year career in Dahlgren, Virginia. Though the film Hidden Figures did not center directly around Gladys, she was right there, sharing that building, living through the same challenges that her fellow brilliant black female colleagues had during this tense time of integration, all against the backdrop of scientific innovation. It is my utmost privilege to welcome Dr. Gladys West to Work in Progress. Where, where do we find you today? We're recording from King George, Virginia. You're in Virginia. Yeah. And you've always lived in Virginia, correct? Yes. Well, I'm so thrilled to hear about your story. And, and actually, Gladys, if it's all right, I'd love to ask you first, what was life like growing up for you in Virginia? I, I've read so much about you. I know that you worked on your family's farm. Uh, can, you, can you paint a picture for us of the era of your childhood a bit? Yes, I can do that. I, I really grew up in Sutherland, Virginia, mm. a little rural area uh, not too far from Petersburg and not too far from Richmond <laughs> mm. also. Anyway, I remember some tale about if you were a farmer and there's the war was coming on, if you were a mm-hmm. farmer, uh, you wouldn't have to go to the military. <laughs> So, mm. so, you know, so there were quite a few farmers 
<laughs> around in our, <laughs> in our area. Uh, we had a small farm, and uh, there were four kids most of the time. The last one came uh, much later. But we raised tobacco, corn, mm. uh, cotton, uh, peanuts, and had a lot of fruit trees uh, that we had to maintain. And uh, we grew a lot of vegetables for, for taking care of the family. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ha- lived about three miles from elementary school. So each day we would have to walk during school time. We would have to walk there and back. And uh, before before you go to school in the morning, you had to get up early enough to make sure you fed the animals uh, mm-hmm. before you went. And then when you came back, you make sure you fed them again. And, you know, before you did your homework and had your dinner mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. So we felt that we were sort of busy because a lot of our friends didn't have to do anything like that. They, they mm-hmm. never talked about taking care of the animals. So You had a lot of responsibility. Yes, we, we did for kids. <laughs> and But in my mind, as I'm doing it, even though I was very obedient and everything, I was saying I would like to get off this farm. I don't want to stay on this mm-hmm. farm the rest of my life. And that mm-hmm. wasn't, hadn't been such a good picture for me to be looking at, staring at on the farm. And uh, I, I also like to be clean and neat. But on the farm, you get them get clean and all, and then you go out in the fields and you come back, you're the same way you were before you did clean. I didn't like oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we managed to have Really good food and good meals and stuff. We, uh, we were pretty rich when it came to that, but when it came to money, <laughs> we were so rich. <laughs> we mm-hmm. were poor, poor. Did you have a when you when you describe meals like that? I think about you know that jovial meal time and a, a big family sitting around the table and eating and telling stories. Did did you have that kind of close knit family for our family? Just just our family, there were four of us and the parents. We were always mm-hmm. together. We never missed a meal, one being away or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we always were there for nighttime, too. So we we were close, and mm-hmm. we sort of, like, knew how to talk to each other because we, we played with each other most of the time, too, because mm-hmm. the neighbors, at nighttime, you didn't really go very far, and the people weren't didn't live very far from us. So... Mm-hmm. Um, you would have to get out and go somewhere. So I don't know why we didn't like the dark, but you didn't know what was out in the dark. So we always made sure we did what we have to do and get back home by daylight. Mm. Anyway, we kept this farm, and we had to keep this farm in good order uh, and ready to grow and all because that was where our our livelihood came from. And tobacco was the big crop that brought in the money. And Mm. so... That means you got to get the grass out and all the all the maintaining kind of thing, and that mm-hmm. was very very tedious. And so I just convinced myself that I was smarter than just to stay on the farm. I had something else I could do besides stay on the farm. Well, it's funny when you talk about those tasks that could seem to use your word tedious, and and I wonder now looking back, do you think that all of that work ethic that you learned on the farm gave you your work ethic to go into mathematics as as a student and as an adult. Do you think there's a connection there? I, I, I think you may be right because uh, there's a certain personality that I have uh, that math in, enhances. And I, I just mm. love everything to be orderly and uh, mm. you know, precise and and neat, and like to plan something, and I like to lay it out, and then follow through the plan. One of the things I find so inspiring about it, and even when we, you know, we fast forward from learning about your childhood to this moment, we all find ourselves in. When I, when I think about the way we're trying to learn about each other, and the way we're trying to do better for each other, it can be very hard for people to unlearn a story they've been raised on, especially mm-hmm. when a story has harmed other people. Mm-hmm. And I, I think about the stories that have been so harmful that have enabled sexism that you and I have both experienced. Mm-hmm. I think about the stories that for 
hundreds of years have been so harmful that have enabled racism and oppression, which you and your intersectional experience have also Mm -hmm. experienced. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I always say to people when they ask why I get so hung up on this is math doesn't lie. Math is not emotional. Math is perfect. Mm -hmm. So when we look at data Mm -hmm. about how certain communities are being invested in and certain are not, how communities have suffered and others have not, how we have these great big budgets here in the U.S. and we could use them for things like, you know, an infrastructure plan and child care. And mm-hmm. the thing I always come back to is math doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm enamored with math, even though I can admit I'm much more of, you know, an English and history major. <laughs> I, I'm much better at telling stories and asking questions than I am at at doing equations, but I just, I have this sort of romanticized love for numbers because I think that they are the truth. And so I'm, this is why I was saying I'm so geeked to be talking to you because you are, you are a math legend. (laughs) Oh yeah. I I guess you always feel safe when you're dealing with the numbers and uh, Mm -hmm. if you get the numbers right, you know. Yeah, uh, and I, I and I'm so curious, you know, how as a young woman did you realize? Because you know, you you speak about being a great student and knowing that you wanted to go into something different than what you came from. You knew it's an honorable profession, but farming's not for you. So something else was. How how did you begin to lean into? what that something else might be in school? Where where did the path appear? Well, well I didn't really sort of delineate it until uh, when I was in high school and we started talking mm. about what do you want to do when you grew up and mm. what are you going to major in when you go to college? And so I went to elementary school, but I didn't have a one teacher, so I guess we didn't get a whole lot of ideas out of that one teacher. But we have mm. all these teachers now in high school. And so we would talk about where to go to school, the subjects, and how difficult they were and how easy this one was and so forth. So I did well in all of my subjects that I took in school since I started school in elementary school. The teachers would tell would tell me things like, uh, since you do well in all of your subjects, and since math is supposed to be harder or you know more regimental or whatever the uh, words they were using, you, like you could do math because some other people can't do math, and so mm. you you can be like a step ahead, I guess. You know, you you can get better jobs, uh, you can get a different job than teaching, and that kind of thing. And so that's how I started. And then, you know, when you started thinking you're going to do something, you go that way then <laughs> real, really well. So, Did you, through high school, when they were highlighting to you that you had this skill, did you have a favorite type of math? Were you a, were you a lover of algebra, of, of geometry, of physics? You know, what, what kind of made you feel yeah, I, inspired? I, 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 I think it was the geometry that really uh, mm. got got my attention, and and also we had one professor who oh, I guess he was a teacher in high school, who who really taught it really well, and that made you like it more <laughs> too too. Yeah. You know? So that was that was nice, but um, I guess I didn't like all those books you had to read too. I didn't like to read <laughs> English. Uh, we talk, different students were talking about what you're measuring in and how many books you had and what you had to do. Mm. <laughs> so um, I guess I thought it was easier. But but it's a way of life because I feel lonely out of the math and science area. I just don't fit in too good. <laughs> you know, I feel myself <laughs> saying, you know, that's not your feel. <laughs> Really? So so in other fields, you didn't feel like you belonged in the way you felt you belonged in math? Yeah. <laughs> that's so interesting. Oh, that's so, so interesting to me because I just I had such a different experience. I, when you talk about not loving all the books you had to read in English class, but loving math, I'm like, God, if we'd been in school in the same time, we could have tutored each other. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it would have been great. Yeah. You know, I... I think about your experience and and you have such a 
such a beautiful way of telling these stories. And I look at the timeline of your life and, you know, you graduated valedictorian in, in 1948, mm-hmm. um, which by the way, I'm going to brag on you for a minute at your high school, the top two students of each graduating class received full ride scholarships to Virginia state and you received that scholarship. Yes. And, and being such an academic that you get a full ride to college is an achievement now. Mm-hmm. And I think about you doing this in 1948, not only as a woman, but you did this as a black woman. Yes. You did this in an era where, to your point, families like yours needed to be home by sundown. Yes. Where, where our world was not as kind as we would all like it to be. And we're still working on those issues. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want to bring us down. I, I really want to just say I'm in awe of you. Mm. And, and I am curious. You have so much perspective on these eras of change. But to be doing that at, at that time, were you conscious of that kind of, you know, push and pull in the world around you? Were you made aware of the obstacles you faced in, you know, junior high and high school as a black woman and as this brilliant student? Or did it just feel kind of like the way things were? Well, you did feel something about what was going on. You you felt that. But I guess the parents had grown up in worse time than we had. And so they Mm -hmm. had ideas about how you get, get around it, get over it kind of things, mm-hmm. and so you learn a lot of things like not being out in the streets at night and <laughs> kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, being respectful to others and, and all, and not asking for trouble and all that kind of stuff, you know. So you learn a lot of sort of getting along with others. But we had, we had as far as girl things and boy things, we had that in our own environment, like taking care of anything that was... Uh, for the horses and cows and stuff was for the men thing. Plowing, behind the plow, holding the plow up. That was the men thing. But Mm. uh, the girl thing was a little bit maybe chopping the grass or something, you know, was better. Mm. So anyway, I had a girl and a boy thing in my mind all through the times, which Mm. sometimes I think may have hurt me a lot because... Maybe I would have been different if I, you know, done whatever I could do best instead of uh, being the boy and girl thing. Mm. But I think about even, you know, your your mention of what was suggested to you. I remember talking to my grandmother about this. You know, she said, well, girls who were good at school were all told to be teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, that was just kind of your option. Mm-hmm. And I'm so fascinated that that even in that time that you were at school, people said to you, you're so good at this yes. that you don't have to be a teacher. You could be something else. I mean, what a yes. what a moment in yes. in that particular time in history yes. for you. I, I was was the rest of your family so proud when you graduated and and oh. got the scholarship to college. Was was there jealousy about it? How how did that how did that all play out? I don't know, but how much jealousy? But I do know that the family were really proud. Mm. And I was really special, you know, like different or something. I, I mean, You're I didn't still special. Yeah, I, I didn't feel in specialty or anything, but <laughs> that's that's the way they thought. Oh, Gladys, you know, kind of thing. But uh, it's sort of like a burden to, to to be the brightest or at the top or something because they expect mm-hmm. more and more uh, of you, you know. So I just tried to be myself. <laughs> mm. And then, what was it like to go to college? I mean. Being oh, in yeah. classes in in 1950, I imagine, you know, you were surrounded probably by a lot of dudes who didn't look like you. <laughs> you know, in in school, was it? Were they encouraging? Were they exclusionary? Were they impressed by you? Maybe a little bit of all the things. Yeah. Well, I see. I went to all black college. Uh, this is you all did. black. So I I didn't have anything about the integration kind of stuff going on. But when you come there, like that, there's the freshman group and their groups within the freshman group and whatever. Mm. And there'll be some people who be seem like they're having a great time 
like during the break times, the the, the, the slow times, and mm-hmm. you know they're they're playing games or talking or dancing or doing whatever, and we seem never to be able to get out there and do it because we had too much work to do. So we stay work, <laughs> stay bowed down with work, trying to get your work done for the next class, mm-hmm. and so it it was a little bit of jealousy or envious and watching other people. I felt that they were having more freedom, mm-hmm. that they were enjoying themselves, that I was more tied down to my way of you know doing things than than they mm-hmm. were. But uh, even now, I still look back and say that uh, I didn't play enough when I was growing up because I guess I was trying to be grown up and I was trying to solve the world's problems uh, mm-hmm. that were really beyond me. I guess I current too big a burden. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot to put on a young woman's shoulders. Mm-hmm. Do you do you encourage your family, you know, the people who've come after you and your family to play a little bit more while they're on their paths? Well, I say it at home a lot, you know, but I do feel that they should work hard, like get your homework out, but then play, you know. I, mm-hmm. I do feel that. But you got to be sort of disciplined, you know, to sort of do it right. Mm-hmm. But but mm-hmm. I do feel that, that there should be a happy medium, that you shouldn't work all the time, that you sort of find something that doesn't require that you work on, something you like and, and uh, can focus on without taking all of your time. How did an organization like the Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, how did that play into your college experience? It was a special kind of thing. The only like special people who were doing well in their classes or something special were joining. And so I got a scholarship and that scholarship paid all of my expenses except room and board. Anyway, Mm. I needed some money to finish paying all my bills. And so I stayed with uh, the Dr. Hunter, who was a physics head, and um, Mrs. Hunter, who was a math professor. So I mm-hmm. stayed at their house and took care of their, their daughter, who was about I don't know, six, six, six years old or something like that. And uh, Mrs. Hunter was an AKA. Mm-hmm. And I just picked up a lot from hearing them going to meetings and going to conferences and how excited mm. they were and, you know, they had big ideas and things that they were working on. So I, I got that kind of idea about AKA. And then one night, I guess in 1950, somebody knocked on the door and says, you have been recommended to become an AKA. Mm. And that's in the 50. And so, you know, that, that was a big shock to me too, so... <laughs> I just sort of like did my thing. They had that order and stuff you're supposed to do. I sort of did that and got through fine. So I'm still in there. <laughs> that is so cool. Now, you got not one, but two master's degrees. Yes, I did. And again, in awe. And you were hired in 1956 to work at the Naval Proving Ground. Yeah, yes. That just sounds immense and 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 so impressive. And in, in all the reading I've done about you, I, you know, people talk about how you were a programmer in the Naval Service Warfare Center Dahlgren Division for large-scale computers, <laughs> and you were a project manager for data processing systems. And those systems were used to analyze the data coming in from satellites. What? <laughs> that is that is so cool to me. What what does that mean in 1956? Because I think about the fact that computers then don't even resemble what computers are now. Right. They so, didn't. They sure didn't. So what were you all programming at Dahlgren? How, what were you working on? What is what does satellite data even look like in 1956? <laughs> Yeah, I, I can I can imagine uh, what you're seeing and feeling, I guess. But it's, it's it's amazing. There's a group of people over there who's pretty much up up to snuff with everything up to that oh, yeah. point. 
And this was a, a big change that was going to happen. And we, we had never worked in an integrated environment. You know, I, I had only te- mm-hmm. been teaching before. And so we had to, I think they were purposely getting us in to integrate Dalgan. So that was so a whole lot of things mm-hmm. were happening. But they had also found out a lot, lot about computers and uh, by mm-hmm. data and satellites and that kind of stuff. They found a lot, about, um, found out a lot about that, and they, so they were up to snuff for, with that. And mm-hmm. then here they had these big computers, and they could process this data. It was a lot of data, but they, it's possible to process now because the computers have been made so big, hold so much storage. And move mm-hmm. so fast that they could accomplish all the things that they hadn't accomplished before, and so mm-hmm. it was a great it was a great time. It was a great time during that time, mm-hmm. you know. Do you remember what it was like on your first day arriving there? Because you you know you mentioned it was a it was a moment of the beginning of integration. I, I know that when you started working there, you were one of only four black employees. Yes, and to your point. You were arriving at a place that had the most cutting edge technology. Yes. <laughs> was it wild to walk in the door on your first day? Do you remember what that felt like? It, it, it was calm. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was calm. And people were nice. And you're you, you going around seeing this big computer that occupied, you know, a couple of rooms or two and all. And, and mm. you're thinking, how am I going to fit in here? But they, they were talking to you. So I, I don't know. I always believed that I could do it, I guess. I felt that it was a challenge for me. I felt that I have to work mm. hard. I have to get to know the people and myself do the best I can and be an asset to the group, you know, do my best so that I'm not causing problems for other people uh, as far as doing your work correctly and that that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And learning as much as I can. Everything was new. You had to learn learn a lot about how to program and code. And I guess when we really started at the beginning, we're talking binary numbers. And, you know, yeah. and binary just boggles your mind, you know, how many... Ones one, and zeros. Yeah, ones and zeros and, and that kind of thing. So I guess the people were nice, too. And, you know, you always have these brilliant scientists and all that around. And we had we had quite a few of those, too, who mm-hmm. helped setting up stuff and, and, and breaking it down so that... Uh, people who are not as advanced as they are can follow through mm. too. So we had had a lot of that. So uh, before coming to Dahlgren, though, um, we we um, uh, hadn't seen a computer. Well, I had. I should say I hadn't seen a big computer like that. You know, mm. I I don't even what one looked like. What we saw was calculators. You know, calculators sit on your desk. And they, they had this big thing that sat in this room, and they would call you on the phone when they got ready to run your cards. You, you, it went in punch cards. Your, your program would be in punch cards. And they call mm-hmm. you and say, oh, your, your program's going to run now. Run. You come down, and you sit there, and you watch it clink, the clink, the clink, clink, and it print wow. out some, <laughs> prints out something, and then you come back and study, what did I do wrong <laughs> when I coded or programmed that, <laughs> and so forth and so on. So this, that was your thing, is to wait for it to come back and see what you've done, hoping that you you know mm-hmm. it didn't mess up too much and whatever. But that is the way I... I guess my mind worked too, and as you do it and you solve it and you go back, you know. Yeah. So that the programming that you were working on, the code you were writing, for the folks listening at home who don't know, that all of that satellite data, you all were putting models together of the shape of the Earth. Yes. Did did you have any idea when you were modeling our planet that that would be the foundational science for GPS? No, no. Oh, you didn't know. Wow, because I think (laughs) about you guys, and and I think about how if it wasn't for Gladys and her team, none of us would be able to get anywhere. Yeah, we we didn't didn't know exactly uh, uh, where this was going because we were working for the military. And Mm -hmm. in the military, most everything is secret and, you know, some classification. 
I mean, I'm sure the the more advanced scientists knew who, exactly what we were doing, I can imagine. But mm. everybody di didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was uh, the vibe to work up, you know, you doing that chunk, another one doing that, and we all come together and you put the results together and come up mm. with the, the kind of answers that you want. So um, we didn't know that this was going to be GPS. And plus, they gave the work to civilians, to the civilians afterwards, too. And uh, we never worked with civilians at, at the time that, when we were working on GPS. Interesting. Wait, so when you talk about that, you know, obviously you're, you're working for the Navy mm -hmm. and you're at Dahlgren and it's only striking me now that you say, oh, well, we had to share some data with civilians. Did that mean you also had a military clearance of some sort to work there? Yes, we had a military clearance. You're so cool, Gladys. <laughs> and you had to wear that badge all the time. And there's yeah. a certain, certain, certain rooms you couldn't go in. Right. You know, because you were, you didn't have the right classification. I, I, I never got hired in a top secret. Mm, yeah, some rooms, some rooms they never want to let anybody in. Mm -hmm. I, I'm so curious, you know, when, when you talk about modeling the planet, and I and again I think about this, you know, in the mid '50s, modeling the Earth. This was really incredible science to prove the way the planet, mm -mm, yes, you know, yes, sits in space. And and I think about the '70s when when you know Voyager was launched to go and and photograph the outer planets. The things we were learning about our place, you know, in the galaxy and and in the solar system. What was the experience like to begin? modeling Earth to confirm what this big planet that we all live on really looks like? Was was there ever a time where that just felt so profound or, or, or so inspiring? Or or for you, was it really so, um, so in the numbers that it felt like just doing everyday data? I guess it felt more like doing everyday data. We weren't thinking mm -hmm. about the, the really the magnitude of of the description of what we really were doing. You know, you get mm. this data that, that finds everything that you're working on, and you just sort of clump, clump through it, and you have maps you print out and stuff, see how it looks and whatever, mm. and not ever realizing, oh, man, I must be really great if I'm working on this. It never right. that, you know, it's, it's like, now make sure we're going to get it right so we won't have any problem down the road, you know, kind of thing mm. like that like that for, for me it was for me it was I get that too you know working on films or, or in television people will say well it must be so cool I'm like I don't know it's kind of just like a puzzle you know you go to work and you do your job and you make a thing and, and all the projects feel small yeah. and it's not till you see the whole thing put together yeah. that you go oh my god that was huge yes yes yeah. yeah. One of the things I'd love to ask you about, because I could talk to you about your career all day, but, but something that I'm just so tickled by is the story of you and your husband, Ira West. <laughs> you know, another incredible, brilliant math brain. Where did the two of you meet? Uh, well, I, he can tell you more about that than I can. <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah, we met at work, but but he oh. met me. Says <laughs> <laughs> I was always sort of bookish and old lady like kind of thing, so I mm -hmm. knew that I had something to get done, and I didn't have time to be bothered with certain kind of things happening. Mm. And so uh, I wasn't ready for anything like boyfriend and marriage and nothing. Then I I needed to find out what I was doing and where I was. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So we met, uh, he came in 55 and I came in 56 mm -hmm. and, and at a little coffee mess that we had every morning. And oh. uh, they introduced us when, when I, uh, he came before I did. So he introduced, uh, mm -hmm. they introduced him to me and whatever. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I, I, I didn't think nothing. <laughs> but So uh, I guess... I guess he had his work cut out for him yeah. courting you. You were like, I got work to do, sir. What yeah. are you doing? Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. 
So well, and, and then we start start hanging out later, and uh, so I always like had a friend that I could uh, bounce something off, you know, mm-hmm. on and that that kind of thing, and we were like that for for a while, and that that was nice because you know you feel comfortable with certain you you got to know your enemies. You thinking, well, I know he's not my enemy <laughs> after you're talking and doing. Yeah. So anyway, in a year's time, I think we were married. A year. Wow. Was it nice for both of you to to be able to share your work, to be able to, as you said, bounce ideas off of each other, whether they were about, you know, science or data or, you know, when to start a family? Yeah, we still do that now. Whenever I have to do something and, and I want to hear another opinion, I usually call yeah. call him and hear what he says. So yeah, it's not. I think it's really nice. Uh, but on the other hand, though, it brings the two of us together in communication, and the rest of the family never got in there with us because you know you don't talk your work your, your work you do at home, and mm-hmm. so they don't know. Somebody asks, your parents mentioned math. You mentioned any math. They don't even know what a parent's majoring in. <laughs> so I guess it was bad for that, that kind of thing. We need to talk to the family instead of well, just the two of us. I imagine the the level of what the two of you do, it's, it's probably like having your own secret language. Yeah. You have to be in that same area. So I like to know mm-hmm. what's really going on. Because there are a lot, a lot of different types a work that's being done at all. And so, you know, some is satellites and some is ships and a lot of areas that they're working. Now the computers are so, too, bring in so much mm-hmm. work for people. Are there things that the two of you still collaborate on now? Uh, n- n- not except that what I have to, uh, whenever I have to do a talk or do something, mm-hmm. uh, we always collaborate on that. Do you have hobbies together? I, I, I always think that, and this is just, you know, maybe in in my brain, you know, an idea I have, almost like a movie or something, but I, I always think that people who are great at math love chess. Do you guys play chess or any other kind of games like that? Uh, he, he plays Sudoku all the time. Ah, there it is. I knew there was a math puzzle in there somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, and so since he's playing that, I play uh, find the words and write words. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do that. But uh, I love that. I guess being being a scientist or something doesn't doesn't seem to bother you to sit and be quiet. You know, so mm-hmm. you sit. I can sit for hours working in that book trying to get the right words to come out. I love that. You mentioned the talks that you give, and I think it's so nice that the two of you can, you know, bounce those ideas off of each other. I imagine there's so many people who want to hear your story, who want to hear advice from a woman who really, you know, paved a path through history and and through these major moments in, you know, science, uh, American history. What is the kind of advice that you give to those people who look up to you, to to the girls and the boys who hope to someday be mm-hmm. like you and work in STEM? We started together, two of us, sort of like talking to young people because we were interested in young people. So mm-hmm. there was one school that uh, we worked at more than the other, and we would always go there once a year and tell our story and the teacher would tell us how excited the students were about it. And so I I don't know, I've been, we've been there for many years. And now as time has gone by, we prepare for a lot of other other things and other places that want to hear the story. So we have added many more schools to our list. Mm. We also start going to uh, STEM events just finding that is such a bright place to think that you're helping to prepare somebody else to be their best, be the best that they mm-hmm. can be. So, and it's so wonderful to um, see a little boy or girl uh, whose eyes are bright, and you can smile at them and say, you know, 
good luck, do your thing. And I always think that you should um, be passionate about something, find what it is that you really like and you really want, and sort of like follow that through. But you may need to get uh, some mentor, somebody to sort of help guide you, answer some questions Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. you have. I also believe in setting goals, set set your goal, and then when you finish that one, set another one, uh, and and just keep, and I think that's exactly what I did, I think. I just kept setting goals from year after year after year until finally I finished what I thought I I wanted to succeed in, and uh, I guess just sort of Stay committed, stay committed, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and do your thing. Not be haphazard. Let n- don't let anybody else persuade you to do something that you're not sure. That's that's what it is that you want to do. When you think about some of those goals you set and following your passion, what are what are some of the things you feel most proud of to date? Well, I, I tell you the truth, see, when I started, I guess that. Uh, my dream was to get an education and like be able to take care of myself and be the best I can. And I think I've done that. I think I've worked hard as I could all along the way. Yes, and ma'am. Used all my time wisely. I was sort of thinking about the, the playing some, but used all my time all the time um, mm-hmm. doing the next thing, uh, making myself better. Uh, for example, when I went to Dahlgren, one thing that I could not do at all was to speak, stand up and speak, you know, and you can't do work and not be able to tell people what you did. So therefore, mm-hmm. you got you, you got to be prepared to speak. So they, they had a Toastmistress class, a Toastmistress course, I guess, uh, a group at Dahlgren. So I decided that I was going to join that Toastmasters group, whether I could talk or not. <laughs> so I did. Mm-hmm. And not that I came a good speaker or anything afterwards, but I was able to present my work <laughs> mm. after I finished. And uh, I, I said, just keep your dream in your mind. Follow your dream, mm-hmm. what you want to do. Follow that. I love it. Thank you. I th- That notion of following a dream feels important. I think it's the kind of thing you have to remind yourself of every day. That, yes. that To your point, you should set a goal and you should look to that thing that you want and go after it. And I I actually think it's so apropos because the, the title of your book is It Began With a Dream. Can, can you tell us about the book? <laughs> Maybe I can tell you a little bit about that. <laughs> I decided to write that book much later. After I had sort of done what I thought I wanted to do, I was saying, I want somebody else to know about this. And I'm sure I didn't talk to the family enough. I don't, I don't think they knew anything about what I was doing much. So I wanted to leave something so they could pick up, you know, and didn't have to carry a whole room with junk, but pick up one mm-hmm. thing and say, well, this this describes my mom or something like that, you know. So, so, and I start working on it. But I wasn't getting very far, you know. I had a table of contents, I don't know how long. And then I write, and I didn't like the way that sounds, so I rewrite that. So we met Marvin, and he, he decided he would love to help me write the book. <laughs> And so, uh, so he he joined me. So he he is the writer, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm the storyteller. I told him everything. <laughs> well, I'm so excited about it, and I know that everyone who's listening at home is is going to get so much from reading about it, and and again, hearing your story told against the backdrop of of what was happening in in history just feels so exciting to me. <laughs> and when I think about you know, as we talked about earlier, these incredible landmark eras that you have been a part of and and lived through. I'm so curious, what is your perspective on, you know, this last year in particular? I mean, to, to see the entire globe take to the streets 
in protest and and in in support for progress and to talk about equity you know to, to see people in countries all over the earth which you modeled chanting black lives matter and demanding social change and saying this this has to be the generation that that does something about this you know people quoting dr king whose whose speeches you witnessed in real time does this moment feel immense what is it like for you to watch all of this yes it's, it really it really feels uh, deeply involved like you need to think deeply but then after that you got to uh, think about the people who are facing one way and the other one's facing the other way and, and neither understanding each other. I think the, the worst thing that I, I see in there is the truth is getting all messed up in there. You've you got mm. to talk about truth. And, um, mm. and you can't just talk words and talk goobly gog or something and then expect somebody to agree with you and all. So, like, we as a people need to just understand what what life is really all all about and the and the rights and wrongs and and the fact that people all people are human uh they mm. have the same feelings and all that they do and all so it's so it's so involved and it was so frightening too yeah I, it's mm. it's been a pretty bad time for me just sitting and, and thinking how things have turned from the way I thought they were <laughs> uh, earlier. I am not happy about it, but I'm tr trying to think more intelligently. Hmm. My 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 real hope, you know, as as a person who's studied, you know, the history that, as I mentioned, you got to witness and and who wants to see change, is that to your point so much of what we believed was progressing. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of had this, you know, this, it was like a veil got lifted and, and you see how people have been still struggling in so many communities around the world and especially around this country. My hope is that we can take the ideals, you know, the, the speeches everybody loves to quote and, and the, the signs of progress and say, these need to be true everywhere these words need to matter in policy, not just in idea. And if one community has helped to solve um, issues of equity or poverty or, or you know, places where children are struggling and they've made it better, my my hope is that we can say if we can do it in one place, we need to do it in every place. And I I sure do hope that that is um, the result of the tumult because I I think the the tumultuousness comes from people saying, we can't keep asking. We want to see you all doing. And I I hope we get to doing because you've certainly been a doer your whole life. I, I'm i always inspired by the doers. And I, I hope we can carry on, you know, those of us who are, who are out there trying to get the work done now, I, I hope we can carry on that legacy of getting it done. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Yes. I would love to ask you my very favorite question, Gladys. It's the thing I ask everyone who comes on the show. Because I, like I said, I could pick your brain all day, but I'm, I'm going to make sure I let you and Caroline get to your afternoon. Um, the, the show's called Work in Progress because there's so many people just like you who I've met who have done these incredibly inspiring things. And from the outside, so many of us look at people like you and say, wow, they've done it. They've achieved it. They've figured it out. They, they did the thing. And every time I have a conversation with someone who I think has done everything, they say, well, there's this other thing I'm still working on. And I'm always so amazed by it because I realize that we all really are, each of us, a work in progress. And, and I wonder for you, sitting in, in your home in Virginia today, looking at your life and having just written this book, having achieved so much and, and given us so much, you know, scientifically and historically, what still feels like a work in progress in your life? I think that uh, I've done a lot and tried to do a lot to encourage younger people 
uh, mm. to be the best and what what it is that they have, what, what whatever it is. And uh, I see like more and more of a need for that kind of thinking to bring people up to a level where they can reason and rationalize thinking and ideas and things that need to be considered when we're making decisions. And sometimes uh, I always remember just I walk by seeing a little boy or girl and I just like to smile saying, you know, I, I have you in my mind or I have you in my heart and I have you something mm. that I, there's a special place that I, I have for little girls and boys. And so I, I think maybe what I would like to do is sort of like continue along that line of things, thinking that we've been doing. And we sort of mm-hmm. um, go to uh, STEM activities and, and participate in STEM activities at our museum and uh, at our local schools uh, just to see what they're doing in the math and sciences and so forth that help Mm -hmm. uh, train people or lead them into a direction that they want to be in and don't know how to get in it. I just like to do more of the same, I think. (laughs) I love that. You were explaining that idea of pointing people in the right direction, especially folks in school, and the image that came to mind was you you building a doorway. (laughs) I feel like you have... You've not only opened doorways for people, I really feel like you've helped to build them. So thank you so much. Oh, boy, thank you. It's been such an honor to talk to you today. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the show. And I'm so excited for all of our listeners to pick up your book. And yes. I can't wait to hear what you decide to do next. I, I have a feeling there's much more to come. <laughs> thank you. I, I, <laughs> I appreciate you having me on today. 